0: Welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions in the comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.gmail.com, and of course I will answer as many questions as I can. And if you'd like a simpler way, just go straight to our webpage, letstalktorah.net. No apostrophes, letstalktorah.net. The archives are there. The news shows are there. Um, there's places for comments and questions that I'll get to see and of course there's that all important donate button there's that important donate button that you can help the show, you can help the show grow you appreciate the show I know you love the show so hit that donate button, we have a bunch of levels over there Um, if you'd like a shout out or in memory of or anniversary or happy birthday, we're happy to do that Um, if you'd rather keep it anonymous that's what people seem to like, but You know, we're open to all kinds of ideas, Um, so please hit that donate button and please help the show grow, and as always, I do thank you. Um, As we said in the last show, school has started. We are excited. We love school. My wife says to me, she's like jealous, she says, you love school. You love waking up in the morning and knowing that you're going to your classroom to teach children. I said, I do love school been doing it for many, many years, and I love it. Um, but actually, a statement I told her, as I said in the last show, um, there was this Rick Lavoie, a uh, famous educator, especially ed famous for his fat city. For those who don't know what this fat city is, it's a video, you can go get your hands on it. Um, what he does is, he, he has a whole has worksheets or glass, he has a whole system of what it's like. To be a special needs child in a classroom, and when adults sit down in this video and they're doing the different um, activities, and they see how these special needs children operate, people get so frustrated. It's unbelievable. People get up there and yell and scream and curse. They they, they go crazy. Uh, he told the story. There was an assistant principal who um, who's Taking this um, fat city, this st- going through the program, he gets up and he yells and screams and he bursts out of the room. <laughs> Poor principal, hey, he he runs out after his teacher, after the the new vice pre- the vice principal, and he goes to his office and he's crying. The guy's crying. He says, "What's the matter?" He says, "I was that kid. Uh, th- what what this paper did." Right? I was reliving the suffering I did in class because no one understood me. And that was really, that's really the point of, of, of when we have these special needs, special educators come in. Teachers need to have a feeling. He says, even though he's the exception to the rule, he says most teachers, I would say a, a, a tremendously large portion of teachers enjoyed school. We were good at it. For some of us, school was easy. So we liked it. We enjoyed it. Why wouldn't we want to be a teacher? But the kids had suffered in school, right? They did not enjoy school. So it's important, right, that we relate, right? Can I relate to the child that's having difficulty in a classroom when I never had any difficulty, which I tell you, thank God I did not have difficulty in school? School for me was great. Breeze. Enjoyable. But what about the child that it's not a breeze? That it's, he doesn't want to wake up in the morning. He has stomach aches. So we need to take care of those children. So he actually um, started out with a few of his uh, axioms. And one of them is really important. I mean, they were all important, but, but this one was really great. And that is... We look at children, and we don't respect them the same way we respect adults. So things that we would never say to another adult, all of a sudden, because a child, we think it's open season. It's like hunting season. Just shoot them down. You wouldn't do it to an adult. He gave a straight out example. He says, imagine that you're giving a lecture, and somebody's phone goes off, right, Would you turn to the guy and say, who do you think you are? You think you're so special that you could just let your phone ring? Why don't you just take that phone? And uh, because obviously what you uh, need to take care of is more important than the rest of us. So he says, the guy's going to walk out and all his friends are following him. But to do that to a child in class, all of a sudden, oh, it's okay because it's a child. So, my wife loves that concept. The idea, it's not only in class, it's when we raise our children. This idea of respect. If you respect your children, you're going to find out that all of a sudden some of the issues that, that are floating around disappear. I'm showing you mutual respect, but the child's still a child. They don't understand the things an adult understands, right? They're not savvy to that part of the world, they're a child. He says, he hates that phrase, the child is 10 going on 20. No, the child is 10 going on 11. In certain ways, the child is, uh, is uh, more with the program, but they're children, and that's something we have to remember. In any case, let's get into this week's Torah portion. So the command at the beginning of the Torah portion is the mitzvah of Bikurim. Bikurim is bringing the first fruits up to the temple. In the time of the temple, a farmer would go out to his field and the first of whatever crap, it's for the most part the seven species, uh, so your first pomegranate, your first dates, your first figs, your first grapes, your first olives. You see it growing in the tree and you look for those really beautiful ones and you're going to tie some type of string or ribbon around it. Some people say a red string. I'm not sure if there's a source to red. Uh, and you're gonna collect those, you're gonna get in a special basket. If you're close enough, you'll bring it up fresh. If you're not close enough, you'll have to dry it out to like make raisins and stuff, so it'll survive the trip without spoiling. And then there's gonna be there'll be signs up, and each area will gather in their central city and they'll march up with hundreds, thousands of people. And when they get up to the temple, everyone's going to carry it in their hands. Even the king would carry it. And they'll be greeted by, by priests and by Levites. Um, it's interesting. I was explaining to my class that normally, if you work for me, I forget nowadays how things work, right? Nowadays, nobody cares. But really, really, if I pay you to work for me, I pay you to, I don't know, to work on the computer. And all of a sudden, there's a parade outside. You're not have to go outside and watch the parade. I am paying you to sit by a computer. Now, I know nowadays people look at that like you're crazy, like no one's listening to you. But really, really, right, if you're my employee, you don't have permission to go and watch the parade, watch the airplanes flying overhead, watch the fireworks, go check out the crash in the parking lot. You can't do that. I'm paying you. You don't get to take a half an hour to do what you want. So that's true in general. However, it happens to be the rabbi said when the parade is passing through Jerusalem, so even the workers would go out to greet everybody coming in because the mitzvah Bikurim is a big deal. To, um, to give you a feeling for it, I give my class the example. Now's like the perfect time. Uh, so many families during the summer, they make like a garden. And I probably had a good half a dozen boys Who have a garden or had a garden at the end of the season? I'm in their backyard and I say, You know, when that garden is growing, those tomatoes, and you're watching, they're teeny and they get a little bigger. And you ask your mother when you could bring them in and she'll say, Not yet, that it's not ready. And you see them getting bigger and they start to turn red on the vine. And some people pull them off uh, before they're ripe, some people wait till they're ripe, whatever you do. I said, When those first, that first bowl of your vegetables comes in. You are so excited. You can't wait to have the first tomato, the first whatever you are growing. It's very exciting. This is what all my work was for. So the Torah says, the first one, or the first bunch, right, goes to the temple. Why? Why? Because you need to recognize this is not growing because of you. Of course, God expects you to put on work and effort and all the things you need to do. That's how God set up the world. But at the end of the day, it's all God. It's not you. So by bringing what you're most excited for, what you would love to sink your teeth into, and you bring that up to the temple, that is showing that you recognize that it's all coming from God. It shows a a gratitude that I, I understand that first I have to thank God for everything I got. And the truth is, our entire existence is dependent on this concept of gratitude, which becomes fascinating. Because this Torah portion, was com- which is always coming at the end of the calendar year, right before Rosh Hashanah, so it's a reminder that a person should look back. It's true, we're always looking forward. We're not worried about what happened in the past. That's all fine and dandy, all true. But really, really, a person needs to look back and say, what a wonderful year, I hope for most of you. What a wonderful year. Look at all the good that God's done for me. Whatever it is, I had children, I had grandchildren, I had a roof over my head. Have food on my table. Um, I was employed, got paid. Um, either yourself were successful in something, you saw your children see success in something. There's always good. I'm not saying there's only good. Of course, not only good. Of course, things happen that we're not happy with. Of course, there's bills, of course there were there were trials and tribulations. I'm not saying everything is perfect. I walked in, I hadn't seen a person for, oh, probably about two months. And I'm a cheery fellow. Oh, how was your summer? Oh, and she's all down in the dumps. And the, the secretary said, "Oh, you didn't realize her father passed away." Oh, I'm so sorry. And I, I, you know, I said the comforting phrase. And I'm not saying that that's a good thing. Right? I've been there. But I don't think that's the only thing that took place in her life the whole summer. Right? So, some good things, some not such good things, but. You've clouded everything because of something you weren't happy about. Okay? Things happen. Good things happen. Not such good things happen. But we got to look back. You don't look back and say, oh, this one terrible thing is overshadowing the whole year. No. We got to compartmentalize. Some good things some not good things, I better be appreciative of the good things, as I think we've spoken in the past. A person who gets used to thanking God for the good, so God says, you think that's all the good I could do? You think I can't do more? Watch this. I'll teach you to have gratitude. Right? You're happy? You show gratitude? I'll give you more. And the person who's busy complaining, God says, that's what you're complaining about? Huh, I can really give you something to complain about. It's, a, it's an attitude to, to how we look at the world. And by the way, right? Um, if you can look back at the year and say, look what kind of great year I had. Look at all the good that God did for me. Then that's like the catapult for repentance. Yeah, look at all the wonderful things God did for me. Was I really as good as I should have been? You know, God's so good to me, Right? Why can't I reciprocate? Why can't I just at least recognize that I I could be better? Because look how good God is to me, even when I'm not so good. Imagine if I was good. Maybe I don't deserve it. So, uh, right? Sometimes you get a present from somebody and you say, did I really deserve this present? Maybe I should be nicer to the person, right? Because. He did me. He did. He did me a favor. He was good to me. Right? It's a, It's something, something that we should really all be thinking about. So, talking about gratitude and thank you. So, um, in 1929, in Israel, the Arabs. Then it was Palestine. Uh, the Arabs would start up with the Jews a lot, and uh, the the. I don't know if he was called the chief rabbi, but the, the, one of the big rabbis in Israel was the name, his, his name was Yosef Chaim Steinfeld. So he's walking to the western wall to the Kosa with another, another Jew and an Arab threw an orange at him, probably hit him. And he turned around to the Arab and in Yiddish said, thank you. So the Arab says, what? So the other Jew with him says, he said, thank you. He said, thank you. He said, thank you for it. I threw an orange at him. So, if Yitzhak Seneveld said, he could have thrown a rock at me. So the Arab was like, taking it back. Like, whoa. Right? What a way at looking at things. Right? Sometimes we can say thank you even when things are not so good. Because they could have been way worse. This is all that God wants to punish me with. I, I'm okay with it. Thank you. At the end of the story, that Arab actually had a lot of respect and um, must have lived in the area, and he took care. He saw that this was a great rabbi, and he was uh, he was much more understanding, and he actually started to take care of that rabbi. So the Torah portion starts with Bikurim, starts with gratitude, And that then gets into the curses, meaning when we don't listen, right? Right? When we don't listen, again, if I would have the proper gratitude, it would make sense that I would automatically listen. So what's happening? I'm not showing the proper gratitude. So now I'm not listening. So now, God forbid, the curses are coming. But it is interesting to note That even though this Torah portion is full of punishments and curses to the Jewish people when we don't behave. Uh, Hello? That was nice music. I don't think it's mine, but it's anyways cool music. Um, In any case, I have no idea even if you guys heard that music, but it was in my headphones. In any case... um, And this whole list of curses happens to be that there's a blessing hidden in each one of the curses. For example, um, it says the temple will be destroyed. That's terrible. But better sticks and stones, better God put his anger on sticks and stones than on people. We're going to be spread out all over the world. Yes, that's not good. But at the same time, one nation can't wipe out the whole Jewish people. Because we're spread out. Um, one of the Caesars uh, made a decree to destroy the Jewish people, and one of his advisors said, <laughs> Your Majesty, what a waste of time. Says they, anyways, don't all live in Rome. So you're not going to accomplish anyways, so why bother? So the Caesar says, You said good, except you're not allowed to win an argument with the Caesar, so I'm going to kill you anyways. On his way out to be executed, so a lady says to him, it's So sad you protect the Jewish people and you won't get rewarded with them. So he gives; he circumcised himself on the way. Okay. Perhaps this is why these verses, the verses that are read um, when a person brings his fruit, his Bikurim, to the temple, so he lines up and he goes to the Kohen, and he's required to read a group of verses. Those are actually the same verses that we read in the Haggadah on Passover. So you got to wonder, like, on Passover, I should be reading verses that talk about the Exodus, about leaving Mitzrayim. Why am I reading the verses that we read in Bikurim? And perhaps the reason is that, you know, leaving Egypt, of course, is very important. But sometimes we don't realize all the suffering that was involved. But when we're in this story, so we're not ready yet. Sometimes we need to see the full redemption, and now we can look back, and now we can say even the suffering had blessing connected to it. Um, I saw a great story, and I think I have enough time for it. Um, So one of the first and most successful of organizations, the of organization is an organization that tries to point out the beauty of Jewish life, and those that have strayed or those that never even knew what it meant to be religious um, are shown the beauty, and they can make the decision if they want to be religious or not. So the organization is called Hineni. It was founded by a dynamic woman. Her name is Rebetson Esther Young Grace. She's not alive anymore. She passed away a few years ago. They wrote a book about her. She was really an amazing lady. And she started her organization in the 70s, 1970s. And her organization just was a hit. And she actually, um, one of her big starting points is she rented at Madison Square Garden and got different musicians and others. Um, and she packed in the place. And then she got up to speak. And it was, that was just like a springboard from there. Um, one day, she receives a call from a man by the name of Shlomo Levin. He was the Israeli Council in New York, and he said, Rebbitzen, I heard you speak at Madison Square Garden in New York City, and I think the troops in Israel would just tremendously benefit from your message. So this Shlomo sent a publicity shot of this Rebbitzen young race, mic in hand, speaking in Madison Square Garden. So... The Israeli Army Entertainment Corps saw it, and they misunderstood the whole thing. They thought she was an entertainer. They didn't know she was going to tell the troops about the beauty of, uh, of uh, living as a religious Jew. And they actually thought she was a singer. But they, they, um, they worked it out. They had already set up a schedule she was going to come to Israel and speak by all these army bases. She gets the call from the Army Headquarters, asking many performances she was prepared to do, and uh, she was just ready to go full force. Um, it took some uh, clearing up to figure out that they thought she was just music, and she's a speaker, So she figured, you know what? Let's, uh, let's make it a combination. I'll have a band that will play with me. And I'll be introduced. I'll have a band play music for about a half an hour, that'll be entertaining. And then I'll speak. And uh, she was able to work it out. Um, and she found a, a, a band in Miami that was willing to come along. And they were just a hit. They played for her for free half an hour before each show. And uh, it just went better than expected. And invitations were pouring in. We want this for Everton to speak on Army. a lot of Army bases. It's a lot of places. So people were calling and calling. But the problem was this, this band in Miami had to go back home. They, you know, they played for free, but but they couldn't be in Israel for weeks and weeks. So they had to return and she didn't have anybody offhand to replace them. So her husband, Rabbi Sholem, who's also not alive anymore, said, Don't worry, God will send you. And sure enough, that Friday evening, she's sitting in one of the hotel rooms in Jerusalem, and the maitre D comes over and says, There's some boys here. There's some boys here who would like to speak to you. So one of the older boys said, Rabbitson, we're, we're, we're yeshiva students, we have our own band, and uh, we would like to offer our services, any music that you need, over the next couple of weeks, you just let us know we're available. So she said, how um, do you know I need a band? So the, the boy says, I'll tell you the truth, I didn't know you need a band. I'm a musician, I have friends that are musicians, um, but I got to tell you this really, this is really the reason I came over to you. A few years ago, I lived in New York. Totally assimilated. I didn't know what Judaism was. My life was music. And the truth is I was going to be going to Paris to continue um, my musical studies. So I was walking down Kings Highway in Brooklyn, and I heard a crash. A screech of brakes, and I look up, and there in the street covered in blood, there's an old rabbi on the floor, and I run over to him, and I try to talk to him, and I yell people to call the ambulances, and he's not responding, and I'm staying with him, holding his hand. Till the police arrive, and he's he's being lifted up onto the stretcher. He's trying to say something. So I bent my ear close, and you'll never believe what he said. The rabbi says to me, Now I understand, the rabbi is there, broken bones, bleeding. He says to me, he says, young man, he says, are you Jewish? And I answered, yeah. So the rabbi whispers, and he says, "Um, you need to go to Jerusalem and study Torah. Can you imagine? Here is this rabbi. He's suffering multiple fractures. His body is bruised and bloodied, and in his pain, what does he say? He says, go to Jerusalem and study. And that experience, I must tell you, changed my life. I realized I had met a man that is so committed that even when he's suffering, he cares about another Jewish person. He says, Robinson, that man was your father. Whoa. And, uh, but now the music is playing. I hope you enjoyed it. short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to all wonderful sponsors and, and, and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you guys. Thank you, of course, to my wonderful production team. We have Al in the back. I hope I have you some food for thought. Until next time. I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Toro on NM Streamcast. Till next time, don't forget to think about it. There's a house we can build. Every room inside is filled with things from far.